Well, good morning, church. Good morning. I'm going to start today with some excerpts from something that I read online. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the waters of Prince William Sound up in Alaska, but it has very beautiful scenery. The mountains are high, the water is lovely, and there are miles and miles of coastline with many inlets and channels. There's excellent sailing also, most of the time. A couple was taking a multi-day sailboat excursion on their 35-footer. And hearing that a big storm was coming, they anchored at Bear Cove, known as a very secure anchorage on the night island, and set two good anchors. That night there were violent winds and sleeting rain. They scrambled outside and took down their anchor light, which had blown out, and they checked the anchor lines. Everything seemed secure. The depth sounder reported the same depth that they had anchored at, and they watched their GPS to make sure they were not dragging anchor. In that part of the world, the wind picks up speed as it passes over open water. And when it reaches the mountains, a Venturi effect kicks in and the wind picks up more speed as it goes up and over and then smashes down on the other side. The wind gusts were hitting the little boat at over 60 miles an hour. By 2 a.m., it was impossible to sleep. And all through the night and into the next afternoon, the wind wailed. Their GPS had a moving map and it showed a trail of where they were being blown. By the time the wind had subsided, that trail in the GPS looked like a tightly wound ball of yarn. They must have spun around hundreds of times. And yet, despite of the terror of the night, it was a very secure anchorage. The holding ground, the place where the anchors are connected to the seafloor was excellent. The anchors were invisible, of course, and all they could feel was the violence of the wind on the surface. They were completely dependent on those anchors. If they dragged, the boat would have been blown onto the rocks, and there was nothing that could have been done to stop it. But their anchors held. So how is your anchor holding this morning? Our text is in 1 John chapter 2. Verses 18 and 19. And I'm going to read from different places today. But First John chapter 2 at verse 18, it says, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. We're not going to look at Antichrist today, but I want to focus on verse 19. From this verse, we see that it is plain that the Antichrists were Christians who had defected from the truth. There are people that say that these people that John calls those who went out were supposedly never converted. But this verse states quite clearly that the time of their departure, they were from us, but not 
of us. In other words, they were not faithful Christians when they left. The idea of once saved, always saved is false doctrine to the core. The word apostasy is not found in all translations, but it is found in the American Standard and some others. It means to backslide, to withdraw, or what we would call fall away. And the New Testament is filled with warnings about the possibility of falling away from the Lord. John warns a few verses back at verse 15, chapter 2, verse 15 in 1 John, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That world reliance can lead us to falling away, and falling away is a real possibility for all of us. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, at verse 19, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. We find that Hymenaeus and Alexander rejected the faith, and Paul says that they have suffered a shipwreck of their faith because of that rejection. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, at verse 16, Paul writes, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. But their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. One of the ways for us to remain faithful is to understand why some Christians go out from among us. And that's what I want to spend the rest of the time this morning looking at. Let's consider the question, will your anchor hold? Drifting away is always a possibility, and at times we may not even notice when we start drifting from the Lord and his church. I want to suggest that it is wise for each of us to gauge exactly where we are at with our faith. I strongly suspect that many of you have seen faithful brothers and sisters in Christ over the years who have simply disappeared into the sunset. Now, some are still faithful to the Lord, but have moved elsewhere, and some have simply drifted away. They drift away for several reasons, and yet the main reason I believe that they drift away is their anchor rope they've allowed to go slack. You see, folks, the anchor rope must become slack before the anchor can be released. If the vessel maintains the pull on the anchor, if it is properly seated in a good anchorage, it will not release. Apply this spiritually, and we should see that we, the vessel, must maintain the proper tightness on the anchor, which keeps us properly moored or connected to God. When we become slack or fail to do as we should, we allow our anchor to drag and lose its grip. And when that happens, we drift just as the vessel in the water does. And this could be devastating from a spiritual standpoint, eternally disastrous. 
Jesus is sharing the parable of the sower over in Luke chapter 8. You're all familiar with this, Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 5, where he says, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it, and they choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Later, he was asked for an explanation of this parable by his disciples. In explaining about the seed that fell among the rocks, Jesus says in Luke chapter 8 at verse 13, But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Some versions use the word temptation and some the word testing. But really, that's what the word temptation means. It means a testing, a trial. In the film, The Shawshank Redemption, it's about a prisoner called Andy, who was convicted of a crime that he did not commit, we find that Andy is struggling to come to terms with prison. And a friend says to him, life in prison does strange things to a man. First you hate it, and then you get used to it, and finally you come to depend on it. Well, that is one way that sin works in your life. Maybe when you first became a Christian, you hated yourself for getting drunk on some occasion. After a few times of getting drunk, you get used to it and maybe even look forward to it. Maybe you hated yourself for gossiping about another member of the Lord's church because you knew it was wrong. After a while, you get used to people knowing that you are the church gossip and you kind of like it. Maybe you used to come to services, every Bible study, every time there was something happening at the building, you would be there. And when you started to miss a few of these days, you hated it at first. But now you're in the habit. And whatever it is you are doing in its place has become just too important to you. Now that's how sin works. Sin grows, and if you do not put a stop to it, it will end up killing you. That's what James is saying in James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been proved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. James says that when you get involved with sin, it's only going to lead to one thing, and that is spiritual death. We should not be fooled. This testing that James and Jesus talk about can come to us in different forms. And Peter warns us about one of them in 1 Peter chapter 4 at verse 3. 
For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. And I paraphrase that. Peter is talking about the problem of our old friends coming along and testing us. We've all got some sort of history. We've all probably been involved at some point in our lives with some ungodly activities. But when we became Christians, the ungodly behavior ceased. Peter is saying when you meet up with those old friends, they're going to expect you to be like them, like you were before, even though they know you're a Christian. And they will tempt you to go back the way to the way you were. We need to be on guard against that. Do your non-Christian friends have more influence in your life than Jesus does? Because if they do, you could be one step closer to going out from among us. Another reason as to why some people go out from among us is because they pull up their anchor instead of remaining in a good anchorage. Jesus in that parable says some seed fell among the thorns He says in verse 14, then, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. I suspect that these are probably the most frequent ways of drifting, worry, riches, and pleasures. Christians get so tied up in this world, they get so involved in their jobs, their professions, that their love of God becomes second place in their lives. Christians start worrying about having enough money for this and that. They start to work longer hours, and before they know it, they haven't gone to church on the Lord's Day for months. I understand that some Christians need to work on the Lord's Day to keep their employment. But if that job means that you're missing out on worshiping God for months on end, then you need to be careful you're not on the slippery slope to falling away. There is a big difference between working to live and living to work. Jesus warns us in Luke chapter 12 at verse 15. Again, it's a parable you all know. Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. When blessings had been multiplied upon this man, they only served to increase his covetousness. This man failed to recognize his status, not as the true owner of his goods or even his own soul. These were his only 
in the sense of him being temporarily the steward of them. The loan of an immortal spirit from God was about to be recalled, and the stewardship of his worldly possessions would pass that very night to others. In Matthew 6 and 33, Jesus tells us, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seeking after the things of this world have caused people to fall. Money has caused people to grieve. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves with many sorrows. It is not money. It is the love of money, the placing of money as such a priority in your life that God comes in second, which causes failure. It was the love of money that caused Judas to betray Jesus, according to Matthew 26, verses 14 through 16. Money caused Ananias and Sapphira's death because they lied to God in Acts 5. Again, Jesus reminds us in Matthew 6 and 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Ananias and Sapphira agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord. Some people fool themselves into thinking they are doing it all in Jesus' name for God's glory. (coughs) Paraphrasing Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If you are spending less time with God and his people and spending more time in pursuing sports and pleasures or making money, then your anchor line may be going slack for want of watching and your anchor starting to drag, allowing you to drift. And then there is the case of the more attractive anchorage. Some people drift because they set their anchor in an anchorage of false doctrine. John warned these early Christians in 1 John 4 and 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John echoes Jesus' warning to his disciples in Matthew 7 and 15, where he says, Beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. The Apostle Paul describes them as being deceivers and says, you should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness by which they lie and wait to deceive, Ephesians 4 and 14. We need to understand that the Bible would not warn us about these things if they were not a reality. People still teach false doctrine today. The religious world has a thousand ways to be saved. It has a thousand gods. It has a thousand gospels. It is no wonder people are confused. No wonder Christians who do not acquaint themselves with God's word drift away. People would rather trust people than trust God's word. Some people would rather rely on visions of angels than God's word. 
Some Christians would rather trust Christians than believing in God's word. And some Christians rely more on the preacher's word than on the word that he is preaching from. If you find that you become like that, then you need to make sure that you are not starting to drag your anchor. The church in Galatia was dealing with the same problem that many Christians face today in this world, and that is false teaching. Paul said to the church in Galatians 1, chapter 1, verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. How many souls have you witnessed being baptized into Christ, only to find out a few months later they have joined a denominational church? How many souls have you witnessed starting off on fire for the Lord, only to be led astray when someone says to them, Come to our church, it's livelier. Our worship services sometimes include movies, or sometimes we have entertainment groups visit us. We have more events, festivals, date nights. It's astonishing how many people can leave the grace of Christ and turn to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Those who teach false doctrine have a penalty to pay, but so do those who fall away. Hebrews 6, verse 4, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they have crucified again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. The Hebrew writer was writing to Hebrew Christians who were saved. He says that they have tasted the heavenly gift, received the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of God's word. They saw and heard about the miraculous events, but because Christianity was not their idea of what Christianity should be, they wanted to go back to Judaism. What the Hebrew writer is saying that if they went back to Judaism, they would be rejecting their salvation. When you reject your salvation, you're rejecting that Jesus was the Christ you have rejected what he has done. You've rejected the gospel. The writer says it's impossible to come back to repentance because you've rejected the need for repentance. People can become Christians and then months or even years later fall away and not return, not because they can't, but because they won't. Those who go out or turn their back upon the faith are in the grips of spiritual death, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son 
cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I find that's truly good news. Those Christians who fall away can return if they so desire. James chapter 5, verse 19. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. There's something else we face that can lead us to drift away, and that is discouragement. Many things lead to us being discouraged. But with our aging membership and the realities of the pandemic, it seems more noticeable. We need the encouragement of our brothers and sisters to combat this. This encouragement is, by design, God's preventive medicine to protect our hearts. Each time one of our brothers and sisters can no longer be with us, we feel a keen sense of loss. They have brightened our lives so much, and now we miss them. I do not know how your anchor is holding this morning, but God knows. We are all capable of drifting from grace and suffering the shipwreck of our faith. There is only one thing more tragic than drifting away from the Lord, and that is dying in that condition. It is only as faithful Christians that we have the hope of eternal salvation. Hebrews 6 and 19 tells us, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. Jesus and his word are the holding ground, the firm anchorage in the analogy at the start of this sermon. Hope is the anchor. What then is the anchor line? I would suggest it is our faith. The couple in that sailboat talked about checking the lines and how the anchor light had blown out. Keeping an eye on the anchor lines and making sure you do not drift is so important that larger vessels have an anchor watch where there is always someone assigned to this duty. Should our faith become weak? If we despair and we allow the strands of the line to fray, we will not be lost if we watch and repent and pray for forgiveness. Our job is to hold fast to the Lord no matter what. I hope that your anchor is steadfast and sure, even though the billows are rolling in this world. I hope and pray that your hope is anchored fast to the rock of Jesus Christ, grounded firm and deep in our Savior's love. Will your anchor hold? Are you watching the line? Mark 14, 38 says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is truly ready but the flesh is weak. If you think you have been drifting away from the Lord in some way, then please pray to God about it, repenting and asking forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. First John chapter 1, verse 9. 
If you are not a Christian this morning, then you have not tasted the goodness of a Christian life yet. If you've heard many different gospels in your lifetime, then please do not leave here today without speaking to someone about the true gospel, the full gospel, not some watered-down gospel. The gospel which Paul calls in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, the gospel of your salvation. Do not let your faith become slack and your anchor drift. The result of doing so is becoming separated from the Lord. If you're not anchored in Christ, obey the gospel today and then remain connected to our Lord. Seek the strength and stability in his word so you can always be faithful. The message is yours.